if, if you drop dead in that pew today, that's your first F. But if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, you're going to experience the second death. Well, even so, there's the first resurrection, and there's the second resurrection. You want to be a part of the first resurrection because the only people who are included in the first resurrection are believers. This is Search the Scriptures, a walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Revelation chapter 20, looking at the reign of Christ following His return to earth. This thousand-year period will include a number of tribulation saints who did not take the mark of the beast and who were martyred for their faith. In a message entitled, A Prophecy Involving Saints, Dr. Brogy from verses 4 to 6 looks at the crowning and the character of these saints. At the end of the seven years, Jesus will come back to the earth. First, he comes for his saints. We meet the Lord in the air. Then he comes back with his saints. His feet are planted on the Mount of Olives. He keeps the promises he made of a coming kingdom. He will rule and reign for a thousand years. During that thousand years, Satan is bound. And then the final resurrection takes place where all the lost are brought before God and the eternal state begins. We're coming to that. But look right now on the dark period, this seven-year period. While this seven-year period is unfolding on earth, the church has been taken into heaven. And what takes place while we're in heaven is called the judgment seat of Christ. The apostle Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, he includes himself as a believer, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. There's a judgment for Christians. It's not to see if you get into heaven. Listen, the last breath you take on earth, it's a done deal. You are either in heaven or in hell. And you cannot change that, Jesus said. It is a fixed time frame forever. This is a judgment that takes place in heaven, and it concerns believers. You are saved not by works, but by grace. But once you are saved by the grace of God, God will sometime examine your life, and He will evaluate how you lived as a born-again Christian, and He will reward you accordingly. Do you remember um, Romans 14, 12? So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Once you're saved, you can't be unsaved. Once you are born physically, you can't be unborn physically. Once you are born again spiritually, you can't be unborn spiritually. This is a judgment of your service for Jesus Christ. Jesus told a parable and he said to them, well done, good slave. Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you will be in authority over 10 cities. Do you remember how he introduced that parable? Let me read it to you. It's not a slide. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now, if you know the parable, Jesus is the master. He has gone for a period of time, but he's coming back. And he's going to have his people be evaluated. 
And so he said to two of the faithful believing slaves, to one well done good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you will be in authority over 10 cities. The second came up to Jesus and he said, your mind and master has made five miners. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. But then if you remember the parable, there was the unfaithful, unbelieving, lost man who thought that because his master was so mighty that he didn't need, the master didn't need any of his help. Well, the issue is not that the master needs his help. We need to help him. We need to be a part of his work. And so he's, he's focusing on saved people to encourage us to be a part of the coming kingdom. Listen, there's coming a day when God's going to look at your faithfulness. You can come and have a very casual relationship with the Lord. And I know some people come and they say, the sermons are too long. Yeah, I want to weed it out. I want to find out who's serious. I'm not here to give you sermonettes. Sermonettes are for Christianettes. I preach an hour, sometimes longer, <laughs> but usually an hour. And, and I don't drag you back on Sunday night for another sermon. And if you're serious, you should have a heart to hear the Word of God because the Word of God is going to shape your life. And in the end, it's not how famous you are or how much fortune you've amassed. In the end, it's an issue of faithfulness. You see, we measure people, oh, he's, he's a big shot, you know. Everybody knows him. Look at all the stuff he's got. Two houses, boats, everything. It's not an issue of fame or fortune. It's an issue of faithfulness. And there will be people in the kingdom of God whose name you have never, ever, ever heard who will receive some of the greatest rewards for Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. So what I'm wanting you to see is there's a coming kingdom and God is going to evaluate his people and he is going to reward them accordingly. Look again in your text, verse four. I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. So who's the they? Well, from other texts, we know the apostles. From other texts, we know the body of Christ. But in this passage, the they are tribulation saints. Let's keep reading. I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast, the antichrist or his image and had not received the mark, the 666 on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Who are these people? These are people who are saved after the rapture of the church people who have never heard the gospel before. And men and women and boys and girls will have a choice to make. You either follow Jesus or you follow Antichrist. And those who follow the one world leader, they'll receive his mark 666, of which you will be able to buy or sell nothing without it. But those who choose not to follow the Antichrist, most of them, the text says, are beheaded. They have been beheaded. Now, this group is going to reign with Christ, and we will too, as will the apostles. But there's another group who will not reign. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. The only people who are going to reign with Jesus are those people who are a part of the first resurrection. 
And the Bible is clear that included in the first resurrection are Old Testament saints, church saints, tribulation saints. In fact, again, let me give you a chart. Here's a chart of amillennialism. They say right now we're in the church age. Jesus, he's not going to literally reign on the earth. He's just reigning from heaven. Well, he is reigning from heaven. God is sovereign. But that doesn't dismiss or extinguish his literal reign on the earth. Tribulation, not a literal seven years. It's just, you know, there's heartache in life. Of course there is, but that's not the tribulation period. And then they say in the end, all of the lost, all of the saved will all be brought together, one big judgment, and then we'll enter into eternity. Well, that is sad, but that's not the picture God gives us. Let's talk about the first resurrection. Here is a chart that will help you to see it clearly. Who's included in the first resurrection? In stage one, it was first the Lord Jesus, Matthew 27. He was the first fruits. He was the first one to come out of the grave. Now, there were other people who were raised to life in the Bible only to die again like Lazarus and Elijah and Elisha and raised some folks. But the first one ever to come out of the grave in a resurrection body was Jesus. And then there's that often overlooked verse. Let me read it to you. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or died were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine? Jesus comes out of the grave, and after his resurrection, there's a number, select number of Old Testament saints who come out of the grave. Imagine meeting them in Jerusalem, walking around, yeah, I'm Abraham, or whatever. I don't know who they were, but a select number. And that's exactly in fitting with the typology of first fruits in the Old Testament. They're in the first resurrection. Stage two of the first resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who remain shall be caught up. The dead come out of the grave. Jesus brings back from heaven departed spirits, reunites them with the body in the grave. The first to come out are those who've been buried and those of us who are alive, we meet them in the air. That's stage two, all part of the first resurrection. He's not done yet. There's a third phase to it. Bring it up, would you? Phase three is the Old Testament believers and the tribulation saints who are raised. There are certain Old Testament believers that God will bring out of the grave. Let me read to you from Daniel chapter 12. Now, at that time, Michael, you know him, the archangel, the great prince who stands over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. He's describing two types of people who lived in the Old Testament era, those who were saved, those who were lost, two kinds of resurrections. Jesus said it this way, do not marvel at this, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Those who came forth will come forth. Those who did the good or the good deeds, you could say, proving they were born again to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil or evil deeds, you could say, to a resurrection of judgment. Two kinds of resurrections a resurrection of everlasting life, and a resurrection of everlasting contempt. And both will need resurrection bodies. You need a body to walk on streets of gold, and they will need a body to live in hell that is never extinguished. Now, the schematic is given here in the Revelation. 
It is unfolding for us. And so we're going to learn later in this chapter that just as there's a second death, the first death is when if, if you drop dead in that pew today, that's your first death. But if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, you're going to experience the second death. Well, even so, there's the first resurrection, and there's the second resurrection. You want to be a part of the first resurrection because the only people who are included in the first resurrection are believers. And he's describing them here. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Just like in the first death, not everybody dies at once, but they've been dying for 6,000 years. Even so, in the first resurrection, not everyone will be raised at the same time. There's a series of resurrections that are all part of the first resurrection program. And so, God separates the two by a thousand years. He says, and this is important, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So, think your way through this. There's these who are going to rule with Christ, the apostles, church saints, Tribulation saints, Old Testament saints. And in the first resurrection are those same four groups of people. Now, that's the saints in their cranium. Actually, almost done. Secondly, the saints in their character. The saints in their character. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. This is the fifth of seven beatitudes. Blessed, it means satisfied, joyful. Not the way Joel Olstein speaks of being blessed, a false prophet with a prosperity theology. I mean, think about these people. How are they blessed? They had their heads cut off. They're blessed because they are part of God's kingdom. They've been saved by grace. It reminds me of the 70 who are sent out and the 70 returned, the Bible says in Luke 10, 17, with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And you would be filled with joy, too, if you saw the demonic realm responding to your commands. But Jesus wants them to keep blessing in perspective. Listen, he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. And then he adds, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus was not saying that you cannot receive a sense of joy from ministry. You can. When you obey him, your heart is filled with joy. But he wants us to know that our joy in the biggest realm needs to come from our salvation. He's not censoring joy. He's just subordinating it to the fact that if you've been saved, your name is in God's book. When was the last time you had a heart filled with joy because you were saved? That's what he's talking about. He's saying the highest worth, the highest joy, the angels shout for joy when someone is saved. He's describing being blessed. These people are blessed. They're deeply satisfied. But notice also blessed and holy 
is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Not only are these people blessed, they are holy. Now, holiness in the Bible comes on two levels. Imputed holiness, what we call justification, and practical holiness, what we call sanctification. The day you are saved, God credits your account with Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, he not only wipes the slate clean, he credits you with Christ's righteousness. But then there is practical holiness in the New Testament. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 12. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. Pursue peace. The word verb pursue is shared by two objects, peace and sanctification. Some of your translations say, pursue the holiness. And then he adds the caveat, without which no one will see God. He's talking now about practical holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, understand, he's not teaching salvation by works. You are saved totally by the finished work of Christ. But when you put your full confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection, you are born from above. And Jesus said, unless you are born twice, you'll never enter heaven. And then you get a new spiritual DNA where your life changes. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. And listen, there's a lot of people who call themselves born-again Christians, and they know the plan of salvation, but last night they were sleeping with people they weren't married to, they were out in the bars and all that nonsense, and that's not an occasional mishap, that is a lifestyle. And what does it tell me? They've never met the living God. Pursue holiness. And when you're imputed with Christ's righteousness, only then can the Spirit of God come live inside of you. And when He comes inside of you, He makes you a new person and He changes everything. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Then finally, beyond their crowning, beyond their character, the saints and their confidence. Let's read all of verse 6. The saints and their confidence. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, the second death is mentioned on multiple occasions in the Revelation. Your first death is when your body expires. We call it physical death. The second death is when your body expires and you're lost. And you go to a place the Bible calls hell. We've already read in Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, showing they're born again, will not be hurt by the second death. Look, if the second death can hurt you, I don't want any part of it. I don't know about you. But then he says in uh, verse 14, we're going to come to it in this chapter, the 20th chapter, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. You die physically lost, and you get the second death. He further describes it in Revelation 21.8. We're several weeks away from that. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
It's well been said, the saying is true, if you're born only once, you will die twice. First physically, then spiritually. He is writing about this because remember during this seven-year period, there's going to be multitude millions who are going to be opening the Bible. And they're going to be pouring over these pages. And some are going to find the Lord. But Christians have been reading this for 2,000 years because it should be a motivation to us to preach the gospel in the day that we live in. But listen, if you're born only once, you'll die twice, first physically, then spiritually. But if you're born twice, and you must be born again if you're going to see the inside of heaven, if you're born twice, you'll only die once. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and then you'll be a part of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Imagine this. Jesus is coming back for a thousand years. Imagine a world where all of the believers from the day of Pentecost to the rapture of their church will be together. Imagine a world where for a thousand years, all of those brave tribulation saints will be there too. Imagine a world where you're walking down the street and you meet Adam and Abraham and Moses and and Noah and Samuel and all these great Old Testament saints. A world where there's peace and harmony and no murders because Jesus will rule with a rod of iron and will see some people who are going to be included in that kingdom who are going to be born during the thousand-year reign. It's going to be a great world, and what is going to happen next is absolutely incredible, but we'll have to wait till next time for that. So let's talk about three applications as we close. Number one, what do I learn from this passage of Scripture? These truths should make me more passionate in my witness. I mean, if this biblical truth really grips our hearts, it should not stay our lips, but should open our mouths. I mean, when you see and watch all the petty little endeavors that lost people are giving their whole life to, knowing that they're headed for an eternity without the Lord, would you not want to be compassionate and kind and tell them how they can not only have a place in heaven, but find meaning in life now? Because that's what they're looking for. Some people try to get it through fame or fortune, or, but it's only the living God who's going to satisfy the inner depths of your heart. And if God's heart is that none should perish, then that ought to be our heart. Secondly, I learned that these truths should increase my gratitude for God's grace. Not only should it make me more passionate in my witness, it should increase my gratitude for the grace of God. I mean, I'm reading this morning about a first resurrection, and I'm going to be a part of it, not because I deserve it. The only thing I deserve is wrath. And if God had never sent his son, I would have gotten what I deserved. But if you know Christ is your savior, he's going to give you something you don't deserve. And that ought to increase your appreciation because that's an expression of grace. Third and finally, these truths should make me flee to Jesus for salvation. Look, if you're here today and you don't know if you're born again, usually means you're not. You know you're married? I don't know. I'm married. I think I'm married. When you're born again, you know it. The Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you've become a child of God. There are four principal reasons in the Bible people don't get saved. 
Some hate God, they hate Christ, they hate the Bible, they hate everything I stand for. And I get some letters. They hate some of you. And maybe there's, I doubt anyone like that here today unless you just stumbled on our broadcast. But there's a second category of people who can read a chapter like this and never get saved. And that's people who think they're too good to be saved. They think the message I preach is for the prostitute, the pimp, the drug addict, the adulterer, the thief, the murderer, but it's not for them. And what they don't understand is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all. That God is so absolutely holy, a violation of one commandment is enough to keep you out of heaven. Now, there's a third category of people who will never get saved, and they think they're too bad to be saved. I've had people tell me that. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. I think I'm too bad to be saved. Whosoever will may come. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But I'll tell you, there's a fourth category of people who get saved. And in my humble opinion, it's the largest category. And they will be damned by the millions. And it's the procrastinator. People who say, I'm not against the Bible. I'm not against Jesus. I know I need to be saved, just not today. Maybe later, but not today. And it's damned millions and millions of people. You can't come to Jesus whenever you want because God stirs your heart and he'll not strive with you forever. Now, I want to tell you, don't leave here thinking that you're saved by being a good person. The Bible says if you could be saved by being good, Jesus died for no reason. He died on a cross because you cannot save yourself. He didn't die for most of your sin. He died for all of it. And if you will admit it's sin and own it, that it needs forgiveness and change, and believe that only the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection can save you, he will save you today. You'll be born in a split second again, and your life will forever, ever change. You say, how could he possibly receive me? Because he was pierced through for your iniquity and for mine, and he loves you. But God has no other way of saving you but through the cross of his Son. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you for these words that we've had a chance to study. May we not be those who just hear the word and don't obey. May we who have met you in salvation be compassionate this week with the folks that we will meet. May we carry the death of Christ as Paul did around in his body, constantly being reminded of the need of salvation. Help someone here today, Father, who's unsure whether heaven is really the place that they will go. Thank you that you said salvation is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that someone else paid for this gift with his rich royal blood. Help someone today to come to Jesus, to say in simple childlike faith, Jesus, I am a sinner, but I thank you that you died in my place, that you took my punishment, and I receive you today is my Lord. Help someone, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, save me.
Father, we are reminded today how fragile life is. Help us to realize the things that are really important. And we ask it in your holy name. Amen. To listen again to today's message from Revelation 20 entitled, A Prophecy Involving Saints, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV58. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at the final rebellion. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.